Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. Sound Opinions is supported by Basecamp, the world's most popular project management tool that keeps people on the same page. Basecamp is the easiest way to wrangle people with different roles, responsibilities, and objectives, so everyone works towards one common goal, finishing projects together. It's easy to use and quick to get started. Listeners of Sound Opinions can try Basecamp for two months absolutely free at Basecamp.com slash Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions is supported by Veridesk. You've probably heard the hype surrounding standing desks. But did you know that standing at your current desk is easier than you think? Veridesk is a height-adjustable standing desk that sits on top of your existing desk and allows you to stand up or sit down as much as you like. Veridesk arrives fully assembled with no installation or tools required and can move with you if you change office or workspace. Models start at 175. Learn more at veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. Veridesk. Work elevated. What do you love about music? To begin with? <laughs> Everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Alan Toussaint wrote some of the most indelible songs in pop music history, putting his native New Orleans on the musical map. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. In honor of his passing, we'll revisit our interview with Alan Toussaint, featuring a wonderful performance at his beloved Grand Piano. Then we'll review the first album in almost 20 years from New Zealand pop band The Chills. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island Beer Company, which believes great beer can be as exciting as great music. Since 1988, Goose Island has been committed to that belief by brewing diverse beer styles like Bourbon County Brand Stout, Sophie Farmhouse Sale, and Goose IPA. More at gooseisland.com. We don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best beer you drink. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, Jim, I know you and I are both excited to review this new Chills album. Now, I know for a lot of people listening to the show, they're going, who? The Chills? What? Why should we care? I think a lot of folks missed out on the indie rock scene in New Zealand, that Kiwi pop scene that had so many great bands, The Clean, The Bats, Dead Sea, Straight Jacket Fits, Tall Dwarfs, Verlaine's, at the very top of the heap, Mm -hmm. I think, were the chills. Extraordinary records in the 80s and 90s, then went away for nearly two decades. Now they're back. People will be excited to be introduced to Kiwi pop or revisit it. That's coming up later. That's the 1977 number one hit, Southern Nights, performed by Glenn Campbell, but written by the legendary Alan Toussaint. 
Alan Toussaint died on November 10th at the age of 77, just after coming off stage in Spain. This legendary piano man started on his instrument early in life and quickly worked his way up through the New Orleans scene by becoming a session player for uh, other musical greats like Huey Smith and Earl King, then forming the production company Sansu. He groomed an impressive quartet as the house band, Greg. That would be the Meters. And in 1973, he co-founded Sea Saint Studio, which would become a favorite haunt of artists like Dr. John, the Neville Brothers, and even Sir Paul McCartney. And Jim, let's not forget Alan Toussaint as a songwriter. We're talking about a guy who wrote songs like Working in the Coal Mine for Lee Dorsey and Fortune Teller, which the Rolling Stones later covered. You know, with writing, producing, and arranging under his belt, his own solo career developed as well. We were honored to have Alan stop by our studio in 2013. And Jim, I gotta say, a lot of times you meet these legendary figures and you kind of wonder what you're gonna get. They might be a little diffident, you know, a little difficult to get inside what they're really thinking. And Toussaint put us all at ease. He made yeah. everybody feel right at home, like he was just having a, the millionth conversation Playing he had some tunes. with us. I, I think he would have stayed five or six hours if we let him. And at the time, he was celebrating 60 plus years of performing and he had this newly released live album called songbook out so when alan toussaint sat down with jim and me in our studio i had to ask him if it took him right back to where he started just him and a piano oh yes this just feel like a few days later <laughs> um, everything that was happening then is happening now i'm still trying to learn how to play the piano mm-hmm. uh, a bit better than yesterday what was that like Upright piano in your mom's house, right? Age six, I think, right? Yes, yeah, six, six and a half. Uh, yes, uh, you know, at six, if you're six and a half, you're gonna stress that six and a half. <laughs> that yeah. half matters. Yeah. That's an old guy there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, I wonder about then, and uh, I walked over to this big piece of furniture, touched it, and it said "hello" in such a fine way. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect out of such a large piece of furniture, but it was a pleasure. Your parents were both pretty musical too, right? I mean, they had an interest in music and playing it, listening to it quite a bit, right? That must have seeped in. Yeah, well, my father, before before I was born, he was a weekend trumpet player, played in big bands, and uh, he was never an improviser. He was never a cat. He played first or second chair and but by the time I came along, uh, I was the third of three children and his and wife, so he had to take a permanent job because music wasn't then what it is now for us, the payrolls. Well, he was a mechanic for the l n Railroad. He repaired locomotives. And and it was by ear that you, were, you didn't really have a teacher, right? I mean, it was kind of more you were teaching yourself listening to music. Well, I first got started. I had about seven maybe seven or eight lessons later on, but my mother gave up on me because the Boogie Woogies had me. (laughs) Ammons had me, Swanee River Boogie, good heavens, and uh, some blues that I heard late at night and good gospel and hillbilly trills. But my mother knew that I was very much interested in piano because I'd wake up daily for it. I don't rally in giving up on that because I do think students could uh, have both worlds if they stay with it. But I was very impatient as a kid, and and she was kind enough to let me go on my own path.
Alan, much has been made of Professor Longhair's influence, impact on you, that music. Not enough. Mm-hmm. Not enough. So <laughs> g- can you give us a little, uh, for, for people who don't know what that music was, can you give us a little of that and then maybe a little of, of how it's echoed in your in one of your songs? Well, it's echoed in my songs, whether you can hear it or not, as for the licks themselves. Mm. But my heart always has some Professor Longhair in it, mm-hmm. in probably everything I do. Fess, far as I'm concerned, he was like, I, I consider, I say he is our Bach of Rock in New Orleans, because he had inventions, and some were very slight, and he played a lot of rumba and rumba basses, things like that, and he had things early on like, That's the most elementary of Professor Longhair that uh, one could get to. However, as Fess played on and on, we begin to hear things. That's a la fest because there's a few little notes in there that was added in because you just do that. But uh, that just was like nothing else that was going on at its time. So, Alan, how about a song? I, I think that a, a tune that we really hear the fest uh, influences is uh, it's a New Orleans thing. You were warming up with it. You were kind enough to tell us uh, you'd play anything we wanted to hear. Uh, so that would be a great place to start. Special sting, 
said you all is dead. I love to go to the quarter, I love to go downtown. Stop in at the music factory and see who's getting down. It could be anyone where the music flows so freely. Could be trombone shorty, Dr. John, might even be me. Anywhere I am, something goes along with me. It's the charm of the city, hey, 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 the crescent city in me. It's a New Orleans thing. It's a New Orleans thing. It doesn't leave you just because you leave town. No, no. We got our own special swing. It's a New Orleans thing. It's a New Orleans thing from Alan Toussaint, performed live on Sound Opinions. Toussaint died on November 10th at the age of 77, and today we're revisiting our conversation with him from 2013. Both Alan and Mac Rebinek, otherwise known as Dr. John, came up together in the New Orleans scene working as session players in studios as teenagers. And during our conversation, I wanted to know more about that experience. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. It was a wonderful time, and we knew we were in the University of Cosmo. Cosmo owned the studio. It was Cosmo Studio. It was the window to the world to us. It was the window and doorway to the world. We had a wonderful time, and it was the learning process. It was no better place to to learn the skills and crafts of what we were doing, and we were having a wonderful time. And let me tell you, Mac Rabinak was quite a guitarist and still is. Whenever I was there, of course, I was always the pianist and he was the guitarist. I didn't know he was such a fantastic pianist. I said, well, look what he's doing behind my back. <laughs> and he did it so very well. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, well, we're from the same garden. We plants, we flowers out of the same garden. <laughs> a band with uh, Snooks Eglin, right? The uh, great uh, guitarist. By the time you were 17, you were gigging with Earl King, right? I mean, it was uh, quite, a, quite a quick period of time there where you're working in this adult world. Were you at all daunted by this prospect? Did you feel you were ready for these opportunities as they came along? Yes, I felt very much ready for them. For one thing, uh, that band uh, when, with Snook Ziegler, we started when I was 13 uh, and uh, with Neighborhood Guys, and Snook Ziegler was one of them. And he was playing uh, when he was that age, the same as he played when he was 40. Mm-hmm. He was already there. In fact, I first heard him when he was seven years old on a talent <laughs> a talent scout show in New Orleans. And I, uh, I just heard it on the radio. I was a little kid as well. I just couldn't get over this little genius. And from 13 till 17, that was my home. And at 17 is when I was called in to play with Earl King which introduced me to the adult world. Now, you're, you're replacing a guy whose middle name or nickname 
is piano. <laughs> so you're, you're stepping into these, some big shoes here, and yet here you are playing Huey Piano Smith's role. And if I'm doing that gig, like, I never in a million years. <laughs> I, for one thing, I was so in love with what I was doing, I couldn't wait to get to any piano and to play whatever was called for on at that time. And I was going to be playing music that I had studied very dearly, Earl King's music and everyone else's on the scene, but especially Earl being from New Orleans. And I loved Huey's playing. So everything that Huey had played on those rec recordings, I could play it exactly like him. Not cocky, just uh, grateful and glad that I had the opportunity to play with Earl King, that good music that Huey had set the pace so and set the pattern so well. you know, Professor Longhair, Huey Piano Smith, Fads Domino, all these giants. Huey Piano Smith, was there something distinctive about his playing that jumped out at you when you, when you first heard those records? Yes, he was very inventive. Uh, his touch was very bluesy to it. it. It had a finishing to everything he played. Even when he'd just play an augment called to Legion. When Huey Smith Press that. If he pressed that same card, mm. something, you hear some gravy in it some kind of way. <laughs> uh, he was a marvelous player. And as a writer, uh, with all the songs he came up with later when he started his own career, High Blood Pressure and Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu and Don't You Just Know It, he was a masterful writer as well. I felt as dearly about playing U.S. Smith as I would have if I was trying to play Rachmaninoff. Alan, I'm fascinated about the transition from session player and gigging musician to songwriter and producer, because that's the legacy. So many incredible records. We talked about Dr. John earlier, Lady Marmalade, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, by LaBelle, and on and on and on, and then also as the songwriter. Now, how does this kid, who's doing pretty good, making a couple of bucks, uh, suddenly start to become, you know, the go-to person for songs and for production in New Orleans? Well, I must say that my very early days of mimicking all of the songs that I heard on the radio, and I mimicked everything, because everything I heard, I don't care how remote it seemed at the time, I thought all the piano players out there must know that except me. <laughs> so I had best get to it. And I meant in any genre, because I didn't know they were specialists. I thought piano players played everything you heard. I, I thought today they played Griggs Piano Concerto and tomorrow um, Muddy Blues. But that attitude, that innocent, naive attitude, caused me to, to have a very large scope and with equal respect. So it was a natural evolution for me to go on into arranging and writing melodies and if called for to write a song because I had emulated so many songs before till I knew formulas, even if I wasn't inspired, I could know just that there's a formula you can use, but of course, I, like everyone else, would rather the moments that we were inspired because those are the most precious and sacred and dear moments in your life. 
That's the late Alan Toussaint talking to us in 2013. We'll have more conversation and performances from the New Orleans legend after a break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later, we'll review a new record from the architects of the Kiwi pop sound, The Chills. We may seem happy Like everything's alright From the outside looking in Everything's uptight but deep down inside, we're covering up the pain. It's an old thing, it's a soul thing, but it's a real thing. Retail what's gonna happen to brother, who's gonna help him get further. <laughs> one another, is that the truth? One another, yeah, you're right. There's old dude. Standing on the corner Waiting for a fox to pass The only thing he's got to go by Is this his way he saw less And there's old John Two dollars in his pocket Talking loud and thinks he's rich And look the little fool Too cool to go to school Get a job in two days he's cool. Sound Opinions is supported by The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation how do people inspire a city to change, to improve how it feels to live and work there, to fill the streets with the laughter of people pursuing their dreams, together instead of apart? Every week, Carol Coletta of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation unearths innovative ideas for making cities successful and interviews the people behind them. Join the conversation by downloading the Night Cities podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or night-cities-podcast.org. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And today we're remembering the great New Orleans musician, Alan Toussaint, who died on November 10th. Alan stopped by our studio back in 2013, and it was a real honor for us. Incredible gentleman, a great storyteller, and of course, a wonderful musician. In addition to his work as a performer and a producer, Toussaint wrote dozens of immortal tracks that have become standards in the rock and roll canon. I wanted to ask him about one of his best-known songs, Working in the Coal Mine. There isn't a rock band in creation who hasn't covered that or ripped it off. Well, I don't consider it a rip-off. Uh, I am very grateful to everyone who has ever done it, including Devo, which was, uh, <laughs> which was a very interesting version. You so bet. For, for, so far as I'm concerned, Devo and I collaborated on something in life. Well, I've been working in a coal mine, going down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to slip down. Working in a coal mine, going down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to slip down. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm up there for the sun. When my work day is over, to die for having fun. I've been working in a coal I've read your interviews, and it's very inspiring, your attitude about sampling and people uh, taking your work and, and reinterpreting it, recontextualizing it. It's, oh, yes. It's very, because a lot of artists do not have that attitude. Well, I don't know, but I, I won't speak for them. But for me, thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> for one thing, some put a different twist on it, and which is very interesting that they would take it and take it somewhere else. Like, uh, like Fortune Teller with Robert Plant, the way... Uh, 
T-Bone Burnett and the bunch did that, put a different twist all together. Went to the fortune teller, had my fortune read. I didn't know what to tell her. I had a dizzy feeling in my head. Took a look at my palm. And some folk will do it pretty much close to exactly the way it was, like Herb Alpert did the whipped cream pretty close to the original. Of course, he had his own wonderful flair that, as far as I'm concerned, sent it to the moon. So I respect both of those concepts equally. And again, the word is grateful. Mm -hmm. Well, working in a coal mine, where did it come from? I have no idea what working in a coal mine comes from. Do you remember writing it? Yes, I do. I knew Lee Darcy was on the way. uh, And Lee Darcy, his whole life was a smile. (laughs) And he said, Alan, I'm on the way, on the phone. And I knew it would take him about an hour or so to get there. And a little earlier that day, I had been thinking of of this kind of groove and uh, working in the coal mine. And I remember having it. Three times faster than it was. I was feeling sort of like Sister Rosetta Thorpe used to feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that humping and sanctified kind of feeling. But So working in the coal mine, though it was unrelated to any autobiographical or biographical material uh, person that I knew, I thought it was just right. But it didn't come off. And fortunately, my... Uh, I was going to just dismiss that song because some things when you go into the studio and you try them, they just don't work. And we did the whole first two verses, but when we were going into the third round, it did not go well. So I just finished that and went on to the next songs. But Marshall Seahorn, who was my partner at that time, he said, oh, no, this is too good a song when I had left. And he went in with the engineer and they spliced that part (laughs) from the early part and put it near the end. So I guess uh, uh, one with a keen ear can tell that, oh, that's the very same part that went near the end. But he saved the day, and he saved that song, because it had gone to the trash can for me. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to step down. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to slip down. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm already up and gone. That fanciful story you just told is as good as the fanciful story in the song itself. It's just, what a leap of imagination. See, I want to go home now and, and, and speed up Alan's recording and see what it sounded like three times better. I want to imagine Alan as a hardcore punk. Evo had nothing. It went like that. That's completely wow. different, as opposed to the groove we all know. Give us, give us a couple bars of that. Working in the coal mine, going down, down, down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you just feel like you're, you're, you're trudging up from underground with the pick on your shoulder. With your rhythm. Thank you. Were there different approaches, Alan, for different artists as producer? Always different approaches, yes. With Lee Dawson, uh, like, I, like I said, it was always point to him, each line, you point to him, and not here, but there. Hmm. But, and he, but he was putting on a performance while you were doing that. He wasn't on edge. He was just the luxury of not worrying about it because 
he knew I wasn't going to let him sink. But there are some artists that uh, you can just give them the song and they get to know it. For instance, Irma Thomas, it, I wouldn't, I, once I taught Irma the song, she knew the song very well. Now, she would sing it exactly like I sang it to her without adding anything to it unless I asked her because she really thought if that's the way you want it, that's the way I'm going to do it. Wow. <laughs> yes. Alan, how about one of those songs that you wrote for Irma? Well, I wrote one later that not as many people know. It's called Old Records, uh, if, oh, that, yeah. if that would be all right with you, unless you wanted to hear one that... No, that's people. a beautiful song. The sentiment of that song is... I mean, there's no music lover who's not going to hear that as their anthem. I 
have so many, many sweet memories, oh yeah. Yes, you did, baby. Sweet, a sweet memory of riding slowly through the park, slightly after dark, and thinking about you. Sweet memories of fizz and soda on ice, thinking about you. Sweet, sweet memory. That was Alan Toussaint performing old records here on Sound Opinions back in 2013. If you want to share your memories of the late, great Alan Toussaint, give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. While you're leaving us a message, check out videos from this session and all our other interviews at soundopinions.org. Up next, we talk to Alan about the theme song from the dating game and writing the most personal song in his catalog. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. There's a certain girl I've been in love with a long, long time. What's her name? I can't tell you. Ah. I can't reveal her name until she's mine. What's her name? I can't tell you. Ah. I tried to make her time and time again. Still, we're introduced as nothing but friends. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. I'm here with Greg Cott, and that is the song Fortune Teller, performed by the Rolling Stones, but written by Alan Toussaint, who recently died at the age of 77. Now, that song has been covered by a list of artists you wouldn't believe. The Hollies, The Who, The Mercy Beats, The Iguanas, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, Strawberry Alarm Clock, Greg. When he came by our studio in 2013, we asked Alan if he realized at the time that Fortune Teller would have such a life being covered by so many bands. I actually wrote it as a B-side, and I didn't think any more of it. But not that, not that you try and not write a song as good as the one before, but since the company, uh, Minute Records, had already thought that that other song was going to be the song, well, uh, they needed, uh, well, I, I needed other songs, and I knew this would go on the other side of that. Would you mind playing a few bars of uh, Fortune Teller for us? feeling in my head Then she took a look at my palm 
She said, Sonny, you feel kind of warm. She looked into her crystal ball and said, you're in love. I said, how could that be so? I'm not tight with none of the girls I know. She said, when the next sun rise, you'll be looking in her eyes. I left that in a hurry, looking forward to my big surprise. The next day I discovered that the fortune teller told me a lie. I hurried back down to that woman, as mad as I could be. I said I didn't see anyone, so why'd you make the fool of me? And then something struck me. As if it came from up above While looking at the fortune teller I fell in love Now I'm a happy fella I'm married to the fortune teller We happy as we can be And now I'll get my fortune told for free All coming from the last oh, line. That's wonderful. God. Incredible. Fortune teller from Alan Toussaint. I, I cannot get enough of this. I could just sit That's here all day. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we got to go back to something you mentioned earlier, Alan, because you mentioned whipped cream. And it becomes this huge hit for Herb Albert, the instrumental version and, and the theme for the dating game. TV people may remember that of a certain age. Could you give us like 16 bars of whipped cream? I'm going to give that to my mom because I remember like one of my earliest memories of watching TV is my mom was addicted to that show. Um, But you write that when you're on leave from the army, right? You're you're, you're serving in the armed forces and you got a band on the side Mm. and you're like on leave and you put that together, right? Right. Absolutely. How does that work, man? (laughs) Well, uh, that's this small band that we had in Army. It was uh, a side on outside the army. Actually, we'd play gigs on the weekend. And they they learned that I had written Java. They got the wind that I had written Java. When they heard that I wrote Java, they just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) They just laughed. They thought it was a popcorn song, a little jive song. Uh, But I was in charge of the music that they played, and I was writing arrangements, so I wrote about 30 songs in the air of Java. And Whipped Cream was one of them. And Herb Alpha did such a marvelous job. In fact, when months ago when I went to the White House to get the... Arts Medal of Honor. He was one of the recipients, and we talked about that and him doing, because he was a recipient as well, and he asked my daughter, do you know Naomi Neville? Mm -hmm. Because I wrote that under that name. (laughs) That's amazing. You started releasing solo records, uh, records under your own name in the 70s, and uh, 
an amazing hit that Glenn Campbell had with the title song of one of those albums, Southern Nights, which is also a centerpiece of the songbook record. That song is is unique, I think, in your songwriting history because it is so personal. What was it about that song that brought out that sort of side of your personality as a, as a performer? Yes, it was very personal and very real. It was not designed, even from the beginning, to be a song song, but to, it was, uh, I wanted to share a, that part of life. And that was a way of telling that story. And uh, it, it, uh, it had a few things that happened with it that I consider, consider serendipity now, uh, because for one thing, I, I, I wrote it in F sharp. For some reason, that pentatonic leads you to think F sharp because it's the, all the black keys if you just run your hand across them. That pentatonic feel. And uh, however, that was very high to sing the melody that had come to me to, to tell that story. But because of the story was uh, so inspiring, and I really felt it was the kind we would like to have all the time, I really felt that a soft, soft cloud came about this high above my head, hmm. sincerely. And I, I felt caressed, and I... I just relived those moments when when I was a little boy and taking those rides out to the country and with the old folk who spoke Creole and the, and the things that I saw and and smelled and tasted and heard and, and didn't hear and and I felt from the beginning of that to the end that I was totally totally inspired and and by being in F sharp, being too high to sing, uh, doing too high for a natural voice, but I I didn't have the right to move the key even, hmm. so I sang it through a Leslie speaker to sit it in the trees because <laughs> I felt it it was goes along with breeze and treetops, uh, and I I didn't feel it walked on the ground at all. Uh, the inspiration didn't feel quite that mundane you might say and uh, it was just done on on electric fender rolls and I I added an RMI it was just me playing no one else playing except a guy named Tony Arms was beating on an ashtray there's a little click sound <laughs> and he's beating on a clear ashtray with a with a little stick not even a drumstick but it was to share that story and even though I didn't know whether people would be able to understand all the words because of how it was, but it was more important that it be in that sphere than how much I believe that the words could be understood. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis. We're here, here talking with Alan Toussaint. Alan, uh, and, and a beautiful version of that song on Songbook. Could we get a little bit of of it now as you're performing it.
Southern Nights by Alan Toussaint wraps up this incredible record, A History Lesson, Alan, <laughs> uh, songbook. It's been a complete honor having you on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. It's a great place to be. That was Alan Toussaint when he stopped by the Sound Opinion studio back in 2013. Alan died on November 10th, and we feel very fortunate to have had the chance to speak with him back then. To check out videos of this session with Alan Toussaint or to listen to any show we have ever done, visit soundopinions.org.
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is the song America Says Hello. Pops up midway through the new record, Silver Bullets, the first album, Greg, by the Chills in almost two decades. We haven't had a full-on album from them since 1996, a record called Sunburnt. In 1982, this band, uh, which had already been going for some years in, in its native New Zealand, in various punk guises, signed with a label called Flying Nun. The Chills and Flying Nun would become synonymous and would popularize a sound known as Kiwi Pop. You know, when R.E.M. was doing the big, jangle, moody reinvention of Big Star for the indie 80s, this other sound was coming from Down Under, from New Zealand, that was really original. Also chiming guitars, but in a very different direction. Many different lineups through the years. There was only ever one main man, though, guitarist, singer, songwriter, Martin Phillips. It wasn't until 1986 that the Chills released a record in the U.S. It was a collection of singles. They were big on singles early on. A lot of great 45s, very much sought after now by collectors. They signed to the Creation label in the U.K. and then to Homestead in the U.S. Got signed to a major label. The years that followed, there was music in between, many people uh, were struck by the album Pink Frost, which was a tribute of sorts to living life to the fullest on the occasion of the death from leukemia of the band's founding drummer, Martin Bull. And then, slowly but surely, the chills sort of disappeared. There was an EP a couple of years ago, but not much until all of a sudden the news came from Dunedin that Phillips was back in the studio recording a new album with a new version of the band. And now here it is. Silver Bullets is the name of the record. We're going to play a track, the title track, in fact, and come back and give our reviews on Sound Opinions. So if you're taking away your fame solution and leaving us no way out to stage a bloodless revolution
that's Silver Bullets, the title track from the New Chills album. I really love saying those words, New Chills album. Although I didn't know what we were going to get, Jim, based on, uh, you know, the last two decades of relative silence from this band. That EP that the Chills put out in 2004, Stand By, was okay. Sounded yeah. a little undernourished. It didn't sound like the old Chills. The spark was gone. It was gone. But Martin Phillips, I am happy to report is back. This album has got all the goods that we expect from this band. That combination of bright melody and really dark lyrics is there. Phillips has gone through a lot in the last couple of decades. He's battled drug addiction, hepatitis C. This accounts for the long silence. He's lived in New Zealand all his life next to this beautiful ocean. And there's a lot of ecology themes throughout his work and his career, but especially on this record. I think this guy had a near-death experience. He came out of that and goes, what really matters? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? And there's a sort of a, an urgency to this music. It is protest music. There's no yeah. way to, other way to describe it. But if you listen to it on just a surface level, it's beautifully done indie rock. You know, guitar, bass, drums, everything from these 50-second interludes that have these beautiful orchestrations on them to these longer eight-minute tracks, very ambitious in the range of music here, with, with uh, you know, a few instruments, really. Because there's too many people not enough people caring, but they're learning. Who is earning? Cause it's frightening and concerning. But those millions of people are frail. When they try to climb pyramids, they fail. So why should we climb? He sounds like a man renewed on this record, and it's a buy-it record for me. It's an absolute buy-it, Greg. Um, I think the politics have always been a little oblique in the chills. We've never had a song as direct as America Says Hello, Mm -hmm. which is ranting at the superpower bully that is the United States. A rocket attack and a property Property boom. boom. That's how we say hello. (laughs) You know, but it's always a good sign when when you and I don't compare our opinions beforehand and we were arguing about which songs to play and we wanted to play like six or seven. I personally think that the song Tomboy is just extraordinary. What a strange name for such a strong girl. It's Mm -hmm. him looking back on his high school years and saying, I was so cruel to that that young girl just because she wasn't girly enough. What was I thinking? And Mm -hmm. now he realizes the admiration he has for a strong woman like that. There's a lot of that sort of introspection that the lyrics are incredibly smart the the chiming guitars and the perfect touches a little violin here a timpani roll there mm-hmm. this sort of chiming guitar pop just doesn't get any better so a very enthusiastic double buy it what do we have on the show next week Next week, Jim, it is Thanksgiving coming up, and that means the Sound Opinions turkey shoot is being lined up, the most disappointing albums of the year. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Libby Gormley. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800.
two messages. Hey guys, this is Chris from Chapel Hill. I just listened to your Grand Slams episode. Great choices all around. I was trying to think of the music from the 90s and early 2000s that would fit that Grand Slam mold, and it was hard to think of any. The one band that I think did achieve a Grand Slam was Pavement, starting with Planet and Enchanted, moving on to Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, Wowie Zowie, and then I guess the Dark Horse, as you guys were describing it, would be Bright in the Corner, although I love that album. It's a little flicker. Anyway, that would be my choice. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Brad Brooks Rubin calling from Washington, D.C. Just finished listening to the Grand Slams episode, and you asked about modern bands that have pulled it off, and I think you actually just reviewed the fourth in a Grand Slam a few weeks ago, which would be Titus Andronicus. And they follow the pattern pretty well. The first album, The Airing of Grievances, really laid the foundation, showed this concept of long-form classic slash punk rock with some great punk rock punch in between. The second album is really the masterpiece to monitor. third one, Local Business, is that sleeper outlier that takes a while. And then the most fundamental tragedy that you just reviewed is another grand epic masterpiece and they have some humor and themes that recur so thanks again for a great show jim and greg this is peter from el cerrito california and i just listened to your billy gibbons review of his new record now i understand one of you gave it a pass and one of you gave it a fail but i cannot believe that you both gave him a pass on the use of auto-tune on the vocals. Both of the songs you played had the horrible contemporary infection of auto-tuning on the voice. It sounded so dumb coming out of Billy Gibbons' mouth to have him sounding like Kanye West in 808 and Heartbreak. It's like, what are you, how could you let that pass? I couldn't believe it. I almost crashed my car listening to this review and like, they're going to say something about the auto-tune and how dumb that is. Hey, Greg and Jim, this is Candlin in Chicago. You had a Grand Slam show where you talked about four great albums in a row, and you did not bring up the Beatles. So I just wanted to say I forgive you a little bit because of your show on Low Cut Connie. I mean, you guys knocked it out of the park. I have a new band that I want to go out and buy some music for. Thank you for doing that, and I will keep listening. Thanks.
more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.